You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I'm talking to Sophie Hagen, fabulous comedian, social activist, social media darling, and as we will learn, someone who may be about to turn a corner away from some of those elements of her career. This is a really fascinating conversation. I've been gleefully sitting on it since we recorded this halfway through August at the Edinburgh Festival. Um, We're going to talk about the incredible think tank of the small Danish circuit where she started out and some of the toxicity that she discovered therein. Uh, We're going to find out her analysis of how losers win at the Edinburgh Festival. And believe you me, Sophie is a very shrewd lady, so you'll be enjoying that. Um, We're going to talk about the dual purpose of having gender-neutral toilets at her tour shows, and we're going to have a very candid discussion of the social activism element of her profile and exactly what that element has cost her. If you are a member of the Insiders Club, there is a good, I think, what, 45 minutes of this conversation available to you in which we cover some of her star pupil approach to the beginning of her comedy career, reading all the comedy books. Uh, We learn how doing fan fiction at ACMS turned a corner for her. Uh, We're going to get into the infinite whiteboard app and some structural skeletons uh, in her structural cupboard. Uh, We are going to talk a lot about process. um, And we're also going to talk about the delicate balance between trauma, therapy and confessional shows and a crucial mistake she identifies that she only noticed when it was too late to do anything about it. So if you'd like to sign up at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, you'll get access to all of those extras, uh, which are very delightful indeed. I was really torn with this episode because, uh, I mean, it's two hours long, the recording, and uh, part of me wanted to put it all out there because it's all great. But uh, I do want to give a little something to the insiders who are supporting this show. If you'd like to join them, all of the extras from this episode and from every episode that has extras are available now. Without further ado, strap in, ladies and gentlemen, because this is an absolute belter of a conversation with Sophie Hagen. It was amazing. I remember my, I think it was my second gig. One of the, the one of the best comedians in Denmark, he walked out during my show and I thought, I remember thinking, oh, <laughs> you know, why wouldn't he enjoy watching someone doing their second gig? <laughs> and I felt, I walked out afterwards and, and spoke to him and he was like, that is the most bored I've ever been in my life. I wanted to die because of how bored I was. That was so bad. And he was like, what do you do? Do you stand in front of the mirror every day and practice? And I was like, no. He was like, well, 
I do and that's why I am where I am. So maybe do that. And I was like, okay, I will, I will. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. So you'd get these really hardcore lessons and they would, you know, they would, um, this, there was this code in Denmark where when the MC would go out and say, right, who wants to open? You had to put your hand up because Annas Madison, who was the biggest comedian at the time, had always demanded to open. It's like this, like, urban, I don't know if it's real, but it was like this urban myth. He'd always demanded to open because that was the hardest spot. So if you say, oh, actually, I'd like to go second, you don't want to be a comedian. Yeah. You don't want to get good. So there was this really hardcore, almost like boot camp yeah. of, you know, there's one open mic. There's 70 people wanting to get on every night. So you have to prove it. And also, oh, you're not on, but also you didn't show up. Mm-hmm. Then what if someone canceled? You could have been on that spot. So mm-hmm. you better show up anyways. And I loved it. That's so rigorous. That reminds yeah. me I, every so often on the podcast, I'm reminded of a thing, Tommy Campbell. Joe, I don't know if you remember, Canadian comic who worked no. in the UK. He's done a bunch of movies. He's in the, he's, he's, he's the passenger on the ferry in... Uh, the Dark Knight, when they're trying to decide which which ferry to blow up. He's the one going, <laughs> they're having the same conversation over there. Brilliant, brilliant comedian, uh, Tommy. Uh, he was on a Jackie Chan movie, and he told me that Jackie sweeps up in between takes. Oh. And someone goes, why are you doing that? And he goes, Jackie works, everybody works. You know, and you're like, oh, oh right, yeah, okay. Yeah, you go, oh, Rigger. Yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah. Um, so was there, I mean, that sounds like an incredibly intense environment that probably sets one up for a work ethic, an intellectual rigor, a discipline, all those sorts of things. Was there, um, was there a downside to any of that? Was there any of like, uh, all of the names you've said so far have been men. I'm guessing most yeah. of them are white. It's oh, the yeah, comedy yeah, yeah. circuit. It, I'm not asking you to name names, but was <laughs> Denmark in retrospect or at the time, was there anything negative? Was there any kind of toxicity to it? Or was it all yeah, like... Yeah, it okay. definitely was. Because I was the... Like when I started, there were already a few uh, women doing it. And the second I started, it was like, you are now the good woman. You are the, you are the, you are the female comedian. And they would say, oh, because we don't count Linda because she's gay. So obviously she's not a real woman. And then we don't count Senna because she's a feminist. So she's not funny. You know, even though she'd have done like sold out tours and written, you know... Uh, and then the other uh, female comedian on my level is she'd been going a year before me, was just sort of just kind of discarded. So then I got all the attention, but that was very much on the basis of, yeah, but don't like hang out with them. Or, like, don't. It's, it, it kind of set us up against each other. So you'd be like, they're your competition because there can be like one woman on a lineup. That's sort of it. Very rarely there'd be more than one woman. So, but, you know, I was... I was misogynist as well. Like my jokes were like the first time I did stand up on TV in Denmark. Uh, my final joke was the whole joke was a sexual assault bit. And the end joke was, yeah, women, uh, women, I know women get offended by this, but that's because statistically women are more likely to, you know, not understand jokes. Good night. Right. Oh, all, wow. the, all the comedians. Woo. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, they praise that. Oh yeah. You're not like the other women. I was like, <laughs> I'm cool. I get it. Like they don't get it. I'm not one of those feminists, that whole thing. So I played up. To that. That's why they liked it. Right. That's why Senna, who's an incredible comedian, she recently quit because of the sexism in comedy. She's been amazing. She's inc- an incredible comedian, but she was just never, she was ostracized from the beginning because she's a feminist. So there was never room to be that. So they would help me, but it would be off of the basis of me being, what's the word? Not complicit, but well, sort of complicit complacent 
Is that uh, what? Compliant. Compliant? Compl- yeah, uh, could be complacent. I don't think that's quite what we're talking about. Oh, but not. certainly complicit. It sounds yeah, like... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. they. I mean, they. These were the people, the older men, who were telling you, "We're successful. You want to be us. You must do these things." Yeah. And I guess incorporated into that message was you're in competition with other women, mm. and you get a standing ovation if you sell out other women. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's very much you know feminism is ugh. You know, women are not that funny, but you're funny despite being a woman. And there was just a lot of. Um, I mean, I remember being uh, turned down for a. I was meant to support a comedian on tour and I was incredibly excited. It was just like one tour show, but I was so excited. And then I found out through someone else that he'd, uh, he didn't want me anyways. And then I asked him and he said, well, you know, because I have a girlfriend and uh, I just don't know what would happen if I got drunk around you. <laughs> I was like, okay. Oh cool. my God. But that's my first support tour. Act. It was like my career. So but that was sort of the, that was a sort of normal, this whole, yeah, the sexism of, I mean, racism as well, what we call ironic racism, which is just racism, actually. And, you know, a lot of the jokes of, I remember the the way that the some of the very few people of color, I think there was like one or two, most of them quit. Uh, they would be introduced to the stage as like with very racist comments and women would be introduced to the stage as, um, as this very popular way of introducing us, which would be, uh, some people say the women aren't funny, but actually I saw this female comedian in a club yesterday and she fell over and I laughed. Please welcome to the stage, that sort of thing. But I didn't, I thought that was, I thought I thought that was funny. You know, I was like, yeah, women aren't funny, way. And then I, <laughs> then I moved here. Sure. Oh, my sexual assault bit did not go down well here. I was like, wait a minute. I remember meeting, I think it was Brian, Brian O'Gorman. Is that okay. his name, like a Canadian comedian? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know about it. I think that was him. Maybe. And we were on the bus back to Stratham where we lived. And I remember, I remember like the place where he said it. And he said something about being a feminist. And I said, oh, what? You're a feminist? And he said, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course I am. And I was like, what? What do, you, what do you mean, of course? Wait, what? And I remember thinking, okay, I need to take a few steps back and go home and do some Googling. Which I did for about a year until I real until I learned. I was like, "Oh wait, okay, yeah, yeah, no, no I get it now." <laughs> How did that feel? That's an incredible. <laughs> thank you. That's such a candid thing to say. Um, how did that feel? I mean, that must be like a sort of a tectonic shift. It was, but I think it's like it was. Uh, it's it's very. I know it's very un-British and to talk about being clever, but I as we're talking about with the essays and the writing and the teachers and stuff like I. I am intelligent. So when I pick up, like I picked up that this was, I was like, okay, I'm more interested in being, in doing what is actually objectively the right thing to do than to just be right, if that makes sense. So when I was like, wait, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not right about this. And then I did all the reading and it all made sense. Everything clicked. I was like, okay, yeah, I understand the structures. I understand the, all the things internalized misogyny, I understand what was happening. I understand how this, the patriarchy and how it affected my former colleagues. And I, like, it was just doing a lot of reading and asking, like waiting with the questions until I'd done all the reading and then asking the questions and understanding the answers and thanking people for their education and all of those things. And then I, 
but I'm not, like, I get why I felt like that. I'd never had anyone, you know, I didn't know what feminism was, you know, I just did what I'd been taught to do. I think it's important to talk about how we're all really problematic. We're all still learning, you know, like I, I on my, I think it was this year, my anniversary of starting comedy, I I'd I'd posted a picture of me starting out saying, oh, this was me being young and problematic on stage. And I had so many people tweet me back saying, no, you would never, you would never. And I was like, right, we need, some, we need to be very clear that yes, I was horrible. I said some truly, hor I've done and said some truly horrendous things because I didn't know better. And now all I can do is try and learn from that and not do it again, of course. But it's important to point out that that is what we're, the problem becomes when you tell someone that they're wrong And you tell them why and you try to educate them and they're still doing it. That's a problem, which is the problem with my coworkers in Denmark now is that they have been told and they have been educated and they're still doing the same jokes, the same material. They still hate feminism and feminists. So that's sort of where I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm good compared to that. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, If you you had a very formative experience, a formative introduction to it, you came over here, you were very entrenched in that internalized misogyny mm. and you were kind of created and honed. And let's remember, I think that if, you know, if comedy, if being in those clubs in Denmark as a, as a new young comic, maybe the only female comic on the bill, you are being rewarded for your misogyny. You do that, mm. you do that. Good night. You do the mic drop joke about how terrible yeah. women are, you know, Um Do you think that they, that the male comics are also being continually rewarded for their misogyny? Yeah, definitely. Like the, the one, well, now there's a few more, thankfully, but the, the, the one, uh, comedian, uh, the one black comedian we had, had, like he would, he would laugh every single time they did the same racist joke, he would laugh. And, you know, he, I'm not going to put any words into his mouth or anything because he's, he still says, he still defends it. But part of me did think, yeah, but what would also happen if you didn't? You know, what would happen? Because we've seen now, the female comedians have seen what happens when we go, we don't want any of that. And they get so defensive. And so, of course, if one of the, I mean, not not to the same extent, there have been some Danish male white comedians who've been like, of course I'm a feminist. And then the rest of them have been like, yeah, us too. And then they just keep doing it. But we we're kind of waiting for that day where one of them is going to go, actually, Feminism is the right thing. And then they'll all go, yeah, it is. Of course, the way Sophie and Santa did it, that, that wasn't, that was, that was not, that wasn't it. But the way we're going to do it now, that's the right thing. And we're just <laughs> waiting for it. We're like, it, it's going to come. It's going to be one of those, one of the ones that sell themselves and being really clever. They're going to suddenly have this. I mean, it's just, it's so tiring. It's so tiring. But yeah, they are being rewarded for it. And the audience, audiences as well. You know, it's like a Danish thing. It's not just the comedians. It's just in Denmark. You know, you get an email from a producer and they'll say, do you want to do this show? Don't worry, it's not a feminist thing. You know, for International Women's Day, they asked a couple of feminists to do like a mud wrestling thing on television to, you know, because of International Women's Day, you know? Oh my <laughs> like, God, that's like a cartoon. The country, it's so, it's I, so horrible. I saw in Denmark, I saw a, a Christmas show with an international cast and it has a theme every year. And the theme on what the year I saw it live was uh, Africa. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, uh, me and my other <sighs> British friend were staring agog as the audience in a Christmas pantomime way um, there was a running joke whereby, and mm. forgive me as I report this, 
Um, Any time a character on stage said the natives are restless, everyone in the audience had to chant ooga booga booga. Oh, fucking, yeah. That and and right. everyone did. Yeah. And we, um, we're like, like we yeah. didn't get swept up in it, but we yeah. did go, what the fuck what? is going on? Yeah. And this is not that long ago at no. all. This is no. easily no, no, within no. 10 years. This could, it, it could have happened yesterday. Like, that's the country. It is so backward. And then what most people say, people will be listening, will be saying, they'll be saying, but I thought Scandinavia, yeah, and the answer to that is, no, that's sweet. But I, but I thought sweet. Scandinavia was, what will they be saying, sorry? You, oh, you... They thought, oh we, think, we thought Scandinavia was so progressive, and, okay. but, but that's Sweden. And do you, as you cheerfully knock the situation back <laughs> in Denmark, do you have plans to return? <laughs> do you, you know, or like, what, what's, your, what's your relationship now to, and not just for Denmark, obviously you say some... Um, Outspoken makes it sound mm. like you don't have a right to, but do you know what I mean? You I say some me. things yeah, which yeah. can inflame people. Yeah, people hate me. Yeah, I mean, people <laughs> fucking hate me. Yeah, I, I looked at some of your YouTube know, never things. Look. Never look. Never look, right? Never look. I don't know if I have had anyone on the show that has uh, has had the the level of opprobrium directed yeah. at them. That, that, that it's quite that, insane. You know. Yeah. What's your relationship? Let's stay with Denmark for yeah, a moment. Yeah, What's yeah. your relationship to that back home? Do you feel okay now, cheerfully? slamming the situation back home i have a it's a it's a weird duality i have about it because part of me is like i am 100 percent right i this is not a difference of opinion my opinion is the right opinion like there's not even it's not me versus them and we both know the equal amounts and then we've just decided different things no i know more than them about this topic i am right about this so i'm going to keep saying this because it's a you know, I've had to boycott most of the media. I have to go. I have. I've stopped doing shows in Denmark. Not well. I said that, and then it turns out I forgot. I'd booked a few. <laughs> so I'd made a huge announcement. I was, I'm never going to gig in Denmark again. Oh, what's that? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Two two big shows in September. Yeah, but after that though, <laughs> never going back. Because uh, I'm tired. I'm tired of doing the media. The media is the worst. It's so sexist. It's so horrible. It's ugh. It's dreadful. So I don't want to do comedy in Denmark. Um, I think if I quit comedy and I just wanted to have like a normal job and have some kids or whatever, I'd want to do that in Denmark. Um, but I don't see that happening. So part of me is severely disappointed in my in my colleagues and in the industry that I was a part of. In a, some in some ways, I'm still a part of it. it is, it's disappointing having looked up to these having looked up to these people, these comedians who I thought were incredible and so intelligent and I wanted to be just like them and it's kind of shit it's almost like you know that when you start to realize your parents have flaws you're like oh no wait you were kind of shitheads all along or like you if you were truly intelligent you would have been able to pick up on that you were wrong like when you were being called out you'd realize that you know so that so that part of me is I'm going to keep doing that I don't I'm not going to let them bully me into being quiet about this so that I can you know like some of them will like dm me in secret you know be like well, I'm very proud of you I think you're doing very but they would never say that publicly because they know that would make them ostracized from the circuit and then but then the second I start talking back to them I'm like why we're going to be friends again we're going to be friends again and then I'll say something publicly that's feminist and I'll go oh oh you said that thing again like they can't even see how they're trying to gaslight me into being I'm going to say complacent again. I don't know if that's the right word. Oh, yeah. I think in this context, that is exactly oh, cool. the right word. Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> but then there's the other part of me that I'm heartbroken because I started out in this circuit. It was my life. You know, I would show up 
I would do these gigs. I would learn so much from them. And then I'd say, I have to go home because I, I just, I'm starting university tomorrow. And they'd say, oh, I thought you wanted to do comedy. And I'd just quit university because <laughs> I'm like, oh. yes. Of course I will. You quit university? Oh, in loads of times. It's Denmark. Okay, okay. <laughs> you get paid to go to uni. It's like quitting a job. Oh, fine. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I'd be like, yes, of course I can't have a backup plan. Yes, I will do. You know, I did. I moved to Aarhus, like across the country, just to, to cause, because I could get two more spots a week from doing that. So I moved away from friends and family and my flat, everything just to start anew because I could gig 10 minutes longer a week. And I loved them. And they're so good. Like, ask me technically. They're amazing comedians, nothing like it, right? More taglines than anyone, more laughs per minute. They're incredible, but then their opinions, well. So there's this kind of really sad thing of, you know, this is where I started out. These are, we were friends. I was friends with all of these people. Some of them I was more than friends with, but I'm not allowed to talk about it. And, and now they just threw that away, what, because I wanted equal rights? Are you joking? You know, like how, how can it be so easy to go? Oh yeah, no, we never liked her. Like you did. I, you totally did, but you only liked me because I was agreeing with you. That bit is heartbreaking. And then the, there was an article that, that kind of launched the whole thing, which was with the Guardian. My, I think my first interview with the Guardian where I talked like three hours with this, this journalist. And when she asked me about Denmark, I was like, incredible comedians they're incredible comedians I've never seen anything like this before it's so good and I talk and talk and talk talk. eventually I said you know there's a problem with feminism and they're not really feminists and there was when I came out as a feminist I've got a phone call from one of them saying do you need dick like do you need me to sleep with you is that it like is that why you're saying these crazy things do you need me to sleep with you and I was like no that became the headline Danish comedians uh, something like asked me to sleep with them because they're anti-feminist or something like that. That became the headline. So then that started them going, oh, but you're slagging off Denmark and mm-hmm. all of that. And I was like, really? You don't know how the media works? You don't know that, you know, that's that that's enough to take away everything that we did? So that, But that's more like a personal me being just disappointed and sad of having lost a bunch of friends, but not even lost because they're still there, but just realizing how dependent their admiration and love and respect was on me being me bowing down to them so the, yeah dual a very weird duality feeling of going back i had to do a documentary where i had to show up at an open mic and i've never had more anxiety because i was like some of these people are like my enemies you know like i'll, I'll put on like a danish podcast at like 94 episodes. I was like, I'll just listen to a random one. Press play. The first thing they say is like a, this on me. I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. You know, I have this weird thing where for 10 years of my life when I was in, well, five years of my life when I was in therapy for having severe depression, where my therapist had to talk me out of this idea that everyone hated me. And like, of course they don't. Oh yeah, I know you're right. And now I'm like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of the reality. I put on a random podcast and it's just, Oh, Sophie Higgins a cunt. Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> Tell me about how you cope with that. I, it goes back to what I said about being right. Like, I know they're wrong. I know they're objectively wrong, right? Not about necessarily about me being a cunt. I can be a cunt. But <laughs> um, a lot of the, so my, my mother is, um, we don't know if she's got autism or if she's, if it's like a traumatic thing, but she's quite factual. 
She's very factual. My whole life she's been incredibly, you know, I would, I would give her a drawing and she would say, you have not tried hard enough with this. I can see this is, does not look like a house. So why would I put it on the fridge? It does not look like a house. I'd be like, okay, cool. So I learned this very um, unemotional way of looking at things in a kind of, it's, it's the same way I deal with reviews is, are they right about what they're saying? Because if they're right, that's good. Because then I can change it. That's good. You know, then I've been, I don't want to be wrong. So of course I want to be right. So if they're right, good. Thank you very much. Right. If they're wrong, but then they're wrong. Why is that bothering me? Do you know what I mean? So I kind of do the same with hate. So the trolls, is like the trolls, which is, has nothing to do with me. Like that has nothing to, they're, they're um, <laughs> ironically triggered by me being fat, by me, uh, by them thinking I'm a woman, by being a feminist or whatever else it is that they're hating, which is wrong because all of that's based on science. You know, feminism and everything I know about fatness and all of those things is based on science. You know, the studies, it's history, it's, you know, that's all based on facts. And them hating me for that has nothing, even that can be explained with misogyny and the patriarchy and blah, blah, blah. So they're not right. They're not saying anything that's correct. So that doesn't really bother me. And then it bothers me a bit when it's people who are friends of mine. But that's more like a personal, having been sort of let down by someone I trusted. But that's a different thing than the hate from the media. Or Do you think that part of why they, the, the, the troll community, <laughs> in their safe space, in yeah. their individual safe spaces, yeah. do you think part of why they hate you is, or appear to hate you, I guess hate you, um, is because you are happy to be things that they think you're not supposed to be happy yeah. about. You're happy to be fat. You're happy yeah. to be a feminist. You're uh, happy to be a woman. Yeah. And you, uh, if those are all the weapons that they would normally use to attack mm. someone, you've just turned all their weapons into feathers. Yeah, it's you know amazing. I mean? It's amazing. It's incredible. They're like, you're fat. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, oh, definitely. They're, they're so angry with my... And they're angry that I don't You're just eight-miling the shit out of them. Yeah. Like every attack, <laughs> you go, yep. Yeah. Well, it's, I'm, you know, I've been in therapy since I was 15. I am intelligent. I'm, I mean, some little fucking 18-year-old from Ohio or whatever. Like, Jesus Christ. That's the thing. That's The thing that annoys me with them is when they're really unintelligent. People can be unintelligent. That's not a bad thing in itself. You can't help that. People who are unintelligent but think they're intelligent, oh, it just it kills me that they think they can somehow argue against it by using their weird opinions, which are just not based on anything. Uh, they definitely hate me because I'm happy being fat. You're not allowed to be fat. And they they hate that I don't care either. Like I found, <laughs> found, um, I found this forum where they were speaking about me uh, the, the, where they had launched one of their massive attacks from. So they have these, like, there's like a head troll that'll say, now we're attacking her for a week or whatever. We're going to try and find her address. We're going to try and find her friends and family. We're going to try and dox her. We're going to try and release her information and blah, 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 blah. Doxing is when they, is they, That's they, when they, they find, find your address and address. your phone number and put okay. it online. And, and the idea is that either someone attacks you or there is the permanent threat. threat that someone yeah. might, yeah. All that they'll do, especially with fat activists, they'll send, they'll order, like, 18 pizzas and then that's funny 
and then you know obviously the paper and then you stand there and you're like ha 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 I didn't order them I don't know what the point of that is but they'll just you know there'll be threats and uh, yeah you just never know what's going to happen you know this I read the book by Zoe Quinn who's the main one of the main victims of Gamergate and her life is ruined forever like she can never they could they her dad had heart problems and they would call her dad and make threats that would be so scary that they knew it would threaten his life. Like that sort of stuff. They're insane. But I found the forum where they were trying to launch an attack on me. And I had tweeted to my followers saying, you don't need to worry. Like don't answer them. Like when you read my my um, notifications and stuff, don't answer them because I don't see it. Because Twitter has this filter now where you can filter out most responses. So like, don't worry. I don't see them. It's not bothering me. And then one of these trolls wrote, she just said that she can't see our tweets. Is this true? And then one of the other <laughs> trolls went, don't worry, she sees it. And the other troll went, yeah, 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 don't worry. She's lying, she's lying, she sees them. And he went, oh, okay, thanks, guys. Like, that's so... <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea that the campaigns were campaigns, that they were so oh, yeah, orchestrated. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, so, uh, some of them are just, you know, freelancers. But um, most of them are, like, full-on. There'll be, like, one main troll, like Ben Shapiro or like, James Woods had a go at me. Even Piers Morgan is sort of like a main troll who'll retweet and then go oh you're what i don't remember what he called me like a he called me like a rapid rapid feminist or something like that and then that's like their cue and then they'll start attacking like based on what troll told them to do it so and the, it is organ a lot of it's organized and they know exactly what they're doing like oh she's not she's on instagram as well or I feel like I don't want to delve too far into the mental health implications of it because there's a chance that wankers will listen to this in an attempt to... Yeah, they, they rarely... Do you I think? mean, they might, they might, but they rarely... I feel like books books and podcasts, they kind of... <laughs> they anything, can't be bothered with. It's just can. a tweet because they need it exactly. in a second. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, sure. Anything that's too long, they just zone out. So this isn't Sophie Hagen. It's actually a Danish pronunciation of that terrible anglicisation of her name that I and everyone else in the UK insist upon. So apologies to Sophie if that is your real name. I, I had so much fun having this conversation. If I'm honest, I was a little bit nervous beforehand. I knew that we might not necessarily see eye to eye on everything. And I also knew that she's very, very articulate and very good at arguing. And I was getting a bit nervous if, um, uh, if there are people I think I might disagree with this and not be able to prove it. But I think there was a lot of respect on both sides uh, for this conversation. And I, I was so pleased to have it. I'm so grateful to Sophie for coming along and being so honest. And um, there is plenty more to look forward to coming up shortly in part two of this conversation. And of course, on the extras available now to anyone that joins up at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. We'll get back into this in just a second. Uh, just to point out that Sophie is on tour as of today. As you're hearing this, I think she's already been on tour for a couple of dates. Uh, you can go to sophiehagen.com, S-O-F-I-E-H-A-G-E-N, or indeed sophiehagen.com slash tour to find out everywhere that she's going to be. And her show, The Bum Swing, is really good value. It is a really uh, powerful piece of work that also contains loads of excellent jokes, great personality, I really, really enjoyed it. And I think at the end of this episode, you will be very keen, if you've not seen her before, uh, to see what all the fuss is about. So do get along to see that. My own tour, end of, uh, now with a second half containing some, all or none, of the new material I did at Primer at the Edinburgh Festival, just gone. Uh, that is now on tour. And the first dates are this weekend in uh, Edinburgh at 5pm at the stand on Saturday and uh, then Aberdeen at I'm going to say 7pm. If you're there for 7, it might be 8. 
who knows. Uh, those are just uh, the hours straight through because that's uh, an afternoon show. And then a comedy festival, the Aberdeen Comedy Festival, never been there before. Very much uh, looking forward to that. All of the other dates are available at comedianscomedian.com slash tour or simply look into the uh, show notes of this episode and click on a lovely little clickable link there. It'll be fantastic to see you coming out to the show and um, I can't wait. I, was, I did a, a gig at the Rope Walk in Bristol last night. which was a lovely Sunday night new material gig and uh, I headlined that to... Um, uh, and used it arrogantly used it to warm up some stuff ahead of the tour because I haven't done this I haven't done the whole of end of since I don't think May um, and it was very satisfying to slip that old coat back on and go oh yeah this is really good gear what a relief so um, uh, looking forward to that and well, I shouldn't have said relief there I feel terrible now like uh, and that's just a relief from self-doubt like the material is unquestionably excellent and it's been going really well but obviously when you haven't done something for months you're like I've got to do a second leg of a tour I'd sort of mentally finish that off but um, but there we are right come along and uh, and see that comedianscomedian.com slash tour that's all of the parish notices email me info at comedianscomedian.com or you can tweet at comcompod or do something on Instagram but I don't know how to retweet it I don't even know if that's a thing anyway that is that let's get back to Sophie Hagen Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm not saying I don't believe you, but I yeah. know how smart you are. Yeah. When you were in, were you in Barbados? The, the, oh. the venue, Barbados. Oh. The, sorry, I've, I've done that twice this festival. I'm pronouncing it far too fast. Were you, you were doing a free fringe show. The first year I saw you, the Westlife oh, show. Oh, uh, that was Liquid Rooms. And the venue got cancelled. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you, I remember oh, the venue. I remember now. It was in, um, I, don't, I don't know if that's what that's called now. So the opposite side of the George something? I don't it's even know. The other side of the road of Cowgate. Yes, I think it's it called Barbados. Class. It's like oh, a, was that it? yeah, yeah. I think okay. well, maybe you were maybe you were only there for a few shows. That's Some right. venue yeah, thing yeah, yeah. happened. Everyone lost their their venues, yeah. and um, and I remember at the time, everyone was panicking and like, oh my god, what am I going to do? And you quickly turned it into a very specifically honed message about. I've lost my venue, but I'm such a legend. You didn't say this, but I'm such a legend. I'm going to do it in a car park. And like you turned like guerrilla warfare, you turned a negative into an incredible positive whereby like you were the champion for sticking through and being determined and all the rest of it. But in in Edinburgh, every negative is a positive because who the people who win Edinburgh are people who are the underdogs. No one's going to be like, oh, my God, I heard he's in the grand. 
That's not happening. People go, oh, he's in the grand. <laughs> what a dickhead. Right. I hope he wins nothing. Right. You want the underdog to, to win. But again, that was me, um, putting the wrong date into the, I'd never, I registered, I didn't, I didn't have a producer. So I registered my own show on Ed Fringe, put in the wrong date. Cause I just looked up when does the fringe start? Oh, on the Friday, put that in. So 13 people, I was co- by coincidence at the venue on that day at that time when 13 people showed up and went, we're here for Sophie Hagen's show. They didn't even know it was me. We have a Sophie Hagen show. I was like, oh shit, that's, I think that's me. And, and then I just felt so guilty. I was like, I'll, I'll do a bit for you. <laughs> and then I did it in that, but that was, so what happens there is I do the bit. I start to lose, like, I was like, fuck, I can't do the whole show. I don't have the book with the fan fiction. So I did like a bit of them and, they seemed, you know, happy, but they also seemed like, this is weird. You're talking into a piece of wood. This is a bit strange. And then I just said, please come back like another day. And if I can make it, that's better. But then uh, my friend had taken photos of it because I was standing with a piece of wood as a microphone. And, um, and then I put that online. And as I put it online, I thought, this is funny. And I thought at this point it was beginning the first show of the first French. I didn't understand it really yet. In retrospect, I can see that's fucking good. Like that's really good PR. That's In really, retrospect, really are you now, sure? No, now retrospect, because that was the first day that I hadn't understood yeah. it yet. I think two weeks into that French, I had understood what that had been a lucky thing. Okay. But when I, I think I don't remember when I started doing it, but I'd broken my coccyx. Everything went wrong that wrong that yeah. Uh, so like it had fallen in the bath, Jesus. broken my back. It was horrible. <laughs> Not broken. It just hurt a lot. Uh, so I had to carry around this ass pillow that I had to sit. It was so embarrassing. Is this the original bum swing? <laughs> Sorry. <go ahead>. <laughs> <laughs> but then I wrote bubble wrap time and place on the ass pillow and carried that with me around. And I put that. And I think I think I must have known that. I think I must have known. You that's must a really have good known stuff. that. Yeah. I think I knew that. I think I understood it at that point. But the thing about. Um, what I think, the thing about Edinburgh sort of trying to create a buzz, I think it's very close to impossible to fake that. I think, and I've seen, we've all seen people try. We've all seen people go, oh no, I am in this impossible situation. <laughs> oh no, I hope no one starts talking about this very horrible thing that has just happened that I very clearly made happen so that you would talk about it. And it never works. Those are never the people you talk about. You talk about the, I mean, that well, could be me well, being we, naive. That could be me being naive. Well, we certainly spot the ones where it didn't work. But yeah. maybe the ones where it did work, we don't spot. It could be. That's me being naive. Trust. I trust, every, I trust everyone doing everything. Um, you're I can't, not naive. You're not naive. I think. Well, I think so. I mean, well, I don't. It's how to how to say that. I'm trying to think if there are any kind of, you know, like people's. Mm, I'm trying to think of an example. It's really hard, isn't it? Because it's they're really all so hard. unique. To name an example, you need to identify. I know there's someone. like this, and I, this is not me not naming names. I don't actually know who it was, but there was something about a double act. I think this was many years ago, from what I heard. A double act, and then like the day before the fringe, one of them dropped out, and the other person had to go up and do a whole show. I would, I believe that if anyone sure. was to tell me, no, actually, yeah. <laughs> they dropped out two sure, years sure, before sure. that, then I'd be like, oh, that hurts my feelings. I think, and I know what you... Like, I don't suggest, I, I, I totally yeah. get where you're coming from. I don't suggest for a minute that anything went wrong on purpose or that anything was faked. Yeah. But when we started talking about it, there was just one moment where you went, 
well, obviously, no one here likes a, you know, oh, no yeah, one here likes a winner. Yeah. And I went, there she is. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, you, you, you know, get it. But I didn't understand that from the beginning of it. Um, okay. Because that was my first time doing a show. I thought this is going to be the worst thing ever. Like, this is going to be the sure. worst. Because I've had to shift venues every single day. And it was... Yeah, I mean, it sounds like absolute oh, God, hell. It was horrible. Um, and, like, doing it now, I'm like, oh, my God, why didn't I just cancel the whole thing? That sounds horrible. But I was just young and... <laughs> but that, that... Sorry, I'm going to interrupt. But I don't think... I think that Edinburgh, I learned... I began to understand it and I had the... Losers win. Yeah, losers yeah. win, but also, ah, it's a game. Like, it's a game. It's a, there's a strategy, there's a strategy. It's not necessarily fair, but also sometimes it is fair. Like, there's, I think there's lots of people who just have a brilliant show and it's so good that people will talk about it and then they, you know, it's not, every, not everyone needs something horrible to happen to them. But I could see how it worked. I could see people have like, fire in their eyes when I talked about how bad it was you know I could see people go oh have you heard yeah oh, right so has to change the venues all totally. the time and then I could you know I can understand that when I was standing with my I had made like a little thing with my poster on it and then it said today I'm not going to be in this venue even though it says so in the brochure I'm going to be at whatever venue at 11 p.m and I was standing in the rain and yeah of course I put that on the internet that looks amazing you know, yeah, I'm yeah. one of the most talked about shows that year, but I'm standing in the rain, having a shit time, telling people I'm in another venue. Yes. Of course. And and whilst you, you are having an amazing time, but you're also duly projecting, I'm still a loser. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's also just a humble, a humbleness. Like, I, I remember there was, but I, I still think, I don't know. I think people can smell, smell when it's not real. I hope they can. But you're just, you are in touch really with the reality of your anxiety and your fear about it. So there is, you can be selling out and having a huge show and genuinely say, I'm really worried about this. Yeah. And people respond to that. Yeah, sometimes. It depends. If, the, if you, I think if you're genuine, like I remember there was a, an act one year who had an amazing, like a, one of the most talked about shows. And I met them towards the end of the Fringe. And I think it was, it was either before the nominations or before the awards. And I said something like, oh, so you've had quite a good run. And they were so tired and they just, they just went off on this speech. And because they were so tired, it was so clearly rehearsed. Like, you have to say this if anyone talks about it. <laughs> and I was like... They were betrayed by their own yeah. fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, well, yes, it is a good thing. But actually, I'm just really proud of having done this show because it means so much to me. That da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, someone's told you to sure. say this. And I respect that. Like, I like, I, you know, I, I like the game of Edinburgh. I think it's fun. But that also means... That means that you can take all of the shitty things and go, right, okay, but it's a game. And da, da, da. That also means at the other end... That when it then, you know, it was one of the main reasons I won the award, right? One of the main, it's a good, I'm not saying it's not a good show. That's not me being like humble. It's not me being like self-deprecating. It was an amazing show. I've just done it on tour. It's a good show, right? But it's not necessarily better than the other nominees that year. You know, I went to see, I think most of the shows, apart from John Henry Fell, because I wouldn't understand it. Uh, weird language. And, um, but I saw Tom Ballard. I saw Larry's show. I saw Larry Dean's show. I saw, um, Tom Perry show and they're all really really good shows so but I won because the judges love to give an underdog mm. you know they want to see someone they, they were never going to give us a Tom Ballard because he won the Barry yeah. I think yeah. in Melbourne no, they don't want to give anyone the award yeah I wonder if someone's won it before yeah 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 they just don't want to so of course he was not going to win there's so much politics in Edinburgh about 
who we, you know, like I knew my second show wasn't going to, like before I'd written it, so before I knew if my second show was going to be the best show in the world or the worst show in the world, I knew that I wasn't going to have, no one gets that same year twice, you know, no one gets that. And there was nothing I could have done. Oh, my venue fell through again. Oh, yeah. Oh, did it? You know? I was going to do a double act. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing I could, I mean, maybe there would have been something I could do if maybe I'd started doing clowning or something very, very just reach out outside your comfort zone yeah. again. But to just do another honest show, there's just no, and I feel the same way this year. It's definitely not my year. I'm not going to get nominated. Therefore, obviously, not going to win because I'm in a huge room. The show isn't anything new to me. I touch upon, uh, upon topics that have been discussed loads of times on the French. So you can kind of do the calculations, like the maths, and say, oh, yes, yeah, not going to be my, my year. I'm going to have a good year for me. But if know. we could somehow release this in time and the judges hear the humility, <laughs> that you might saying, be in with a chance. I just want to give an underdog a chance. <laughs> I'm very clearly not. An underdog. <laughs> At the beginning of the bum swing, which is, well, I should explain is the name of <laughs> your current touring <laughs> show. And to be honest, I loved when I first saw the poster for it. Or, you know, you look, everyone hungrily looks through the guide and I was like, oh, that's so nuts. Like that to me is a real, like when you did, you did um, Dead Baby Frog at the Bedlam. And yeah. I remember thinking, oh, this is a clever gear change. She's in a theatre and she's in front of a huge painting. And that is a lovely bit of, uh, uh, framing. I like that. That's, uh, yeah. Did we talk about that at the time? I think I, I texted you and it was we... like, I love that it's in a theatre. Maybe. But that was just me having burned all my bridges with everyone at the Free Fringe <laughs> and then me not wanting to go to the Big Four because I don't didn't like the idea of it. And then that was like, oh, I can maybe I can be the big fish in a small pond <laughs> and it, then do this. And how, tell me about that because I saw Ken Cheng in the Bedlam yesterday. Oh, yeah. It's a great show, and it, but it's a great space it's a great space it's a it's a tricky one because um i mean the students running it and they, they were not used to at the time they might have changed it now but at the time they were not used to having they were used to having other studenty things i think yeah okay. um, i didn't know there was so there was a lot of thing. the judges being turned away at the door the guardian being turned away at the door because they were like oh no i don't think we have comms and like my okay. agent just like screaming and crying going like ah. sure <laughs> Do you think that your desire, your ambition could get in the way of finding the truth of something? Like you're, if, if you're going into it thinking this could be the winning show mm. in the way that Hannah absolutely wasn't. Mm. She was thinking, once this is done, I'm out. Yeah. You know, like maybe that frees one yeah. from desire. Yep. Like, looking, I'm not saying that any of this was sort of deliberate or Machiavellian. Yep. I just mean that, like, you can, after the event, you can go, it's always the bit, hey, it turns out that what I wanted was in front of me the whole time. Oh, shit, you know. Yeah. Do, I, you, do you think that your ambition or your, your intelligence can be a disadvantage to your art? I think that comedy rewards risk and authenticity. Authenticity? Yeah, um, and I think that if you're trying to do something instead of doing it, that's going to bite you in the ass. And I think I don't think I was trying to create an Annette with with my with Dead Baby Frog. I genuinely thought it was going to be really funny to talk about <laughs> my, my grandfather, but that wasn't my 
that wasn't the beginning of the show. I won't talk about the trauma before I thought it was funny. Um, I don't think I... I don't think I thought... I think once I had done... Once I had the finished products of Shima Shatter and Dead Baby Frog, I knew that they weren't going to be winning shows. And I don't remember if my ambition was for them to be that. I think what can I think what I think my enemy in my own head when it comes to comedy and creating is it's it's being too serious. It's being so that like a lot of a lot of my life is serious. A lot of my life is hard. You know, I have I've finally been diagnosed with um, complex PTSD and OCD and anxiety. So I go to therapy once a week where I talk about really traumatic stuff. Then there's this whole other aspect of my life, which is me, you know, surviving in the world as a fat person, as uh, someone people perceive to be a woman, as blah, 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 blah. You know, having to deal with trolls. You know, there's, you know I get told 10 times a day that I'm going to die very soon from diabetes. You know, I feel unsafe on public transportation. You know, I get spat on in the street. There's this whole surviving in the world as well. So to somehow be in all of that and then go, well, I'm going to go on stage and just make jokes can be really hard and the more I and like my mental health has gotten not worse but because there were so many therapists who didn't believe me or understand not that didn't believe me but partly that but they didn't understand what was wrong with me uh and that took the, like an, a trauma expert to figure out um and she could then later explain to me why they didn't understand that which makes sense but it's annoying so much is kind of dark and darkness isn't darkness is funny in retrospect it's not funny when it's happening you know if I was to now do a show about complex PTSD it would be tremendously dark and unfunny and horrible even though that's all I want to talk about because that's what's happening and so I think what what kills my creativity what has a risk of killing my creativity is that I don't have the space and the lightness that I used to have. I don't have the energy to think, to have fun with it. That's my main, every, the main thing I keep saying to myself and to anyone else when they're nervous about anything or if they have, it's have fun, have fun, remember to have fun. We have to remember to have fun. That is why we do this. It's actually fun to be on stage. And we could, I think we have a tendency to forget that because it becomes about so many other things like awards and reviews and paying our rent and, you know, the show having to be good and the audience having to laugh and is the microphone the right level, all these things, but actually it's really, really fun. And that's become harder for me to remember because I'm dealing with so many other things. My ambition, I've never, I don't, again, we come back to nothing being on purpose. I don't really plan many things. I don't, I feel like most of the things I do happen kind of by coincidence or, you know, and I didn't, I wasn't one of those people who knew I was going to do comedy since I was born. You know, the second I discovered that comedy was a thing I could do, it took me a month before I did it. 
And then it feels like every single thing I've done since then has been kind of a last minute thing. Like, you know, I didn't, even, I didn't never decided to move to the UK. I just went on holiday and then stayed. And that's, you know, I, I didn't decide to do my first show. I decided that it was like the day before you can go on the website and register. And, um, so everything, I, I don't plan, when I decide to write a show, what I'm planning is the work in progress I'm going to be doing that night. Then I might have ideas about what it will be, but I don't have any ambitions beyond that. I just think I need to write this show. I need to make a good show. Once it's done, I might think I'll reassess it. I'll go, right, okay, is it a winning show? Is it a show that's going to do this? No, it probably won't because this is what it turned out to be in sort of just like a cold, realistic way of looking at it. So yeah, my 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 I don't think of myself as an ambitious person because I don't have I don't think I have any ambitions really. Because I think having ambitions would mean that I would have to be able to have hope and have like be excited about what will happen in the future and if then if that didn't happen I think I'd get really disappointed. So I don't think I have ambition. So do you protect yourself from ambition by having low expectations? Is that what you mean? I think so. But I don't even know if I have expectations. I think until I, until I, I don't think I have any ideas about the future unless I'm quite certain it's going to happen. Like I don't, I first show, I didn't think about the nominations until I knew that the judges had been in enough that I knew it was a chance. So then they were like, well, the judges keep coming back up until this this show before the day of the nominations. So yeah, I'll probably get nominated. And then I could hope for that. You know, same with the winning thing. You know, it's like, right, okay, so I have a one in, what was it, one in seven chance of winning. Well, one in six, because they're not going to have Tom Ballard win, because he won another award. So then I can hope for that, you know. And then I can be like, well, but I also hope Larry's going to win, because he's my, one of my best friends. And that would also be great. And um, But before that, I didn't take the show up thinking about the award at all. Because I didn't know yet. You know, I didn't know what the other shows were going to be, how it was going to go. And I think that's sort of how I still do my career of going, I'm not going to make it my ambition to be on Live at the Apollo because I don't, there's so many people. I don't know why they, I mean, there's no particular reason why they would choose me. There's no like, well, obviously because I'm having the best year or because of blah, blah, blah. There's no, none of those. They might as well choose anyone else. So I'm not going to make that my ambition. But if the booker had come to see me three times and had asked my agent for a script or whatever, then, yeah, I'll, I would love to be on the Apollo then. Sure, do you know what I mean? Sure. And I don't know if it's self-protection or if it's just just kind of being realistic about it or, yeah. So is there is there at the moment, you, you alluded at the beginning to a sort of a, a reconfiguring of how you do your career? at the mm. moment, with a view to kind of emphasising the message that you are a comedian first and foremost? That's a lot about me not being happy with my life in terms of my career right now. So the, the ambition there is to have a to live, <laughs> to live a life where I'm happy and it would make me happy to be a comedian, to feel funny, to do a show that is funny to people who laugh. <laughs> and to do press where I talk about things that make me happy. Cause I mean, it's, it's going to be quite a challenge, isn't it? 
given the yeah. amount of very high profile mm-hmm. things that you've done. Absolutely. Which or the things you've either responded to or uh What's what is it called? Well, you don't respond as when you started it, yeah. <laughs> where you started it, or well, maybe, maybe no, maybe I yeah. mean maybe it's all a response, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you've taken certain actions which have propelled you into a yeah. a very cultural mainstream conversation. Yeah, I'm going to have to start being deliberate about things, which is very. I don't know how to, you know. I've read so much about it. And I th- I think I I could tell someone else exactly what to do in my situation, and I think I would be right about what I would tell them. I don't know if I can do it, which is very what, annoying. What What is it? Well, so I have... Like you're quite... outside looking in at a Sophie Hagen and you're going, okay, kidder, you've got to do this. Well, some things are fortunately out of my control. So I, some things is, I annoyingly can't change, but that also means, thank God, I don't have to try. <laughs> um, my... Well, I spoke to... So my my fan base is quite extreme. <laughs> I mean, a lot of them are probably really normal, but then there's the extreme ones and they're quite there. And I've had to sort of look at, right, how am I being seen? What do people think I am? What do I want to be? What do I want to do? And I think a lot of it is, I mean, it's easy to say, I should be doing more uh, comedy on television. That will make people think I'm a comedian. Yeah, but that's not my... That's not my choice. I can't be like, oh yes, I'll I'll do the TV show now. Thank you yeah. very much. Um, and I'm still not good at panel shows, so hopefully that won't be necessary. But that would again, that would be a really good choice. I could tell someone to just do some panel shows, but that's not how it works. So what I can do that's in my power is um, have more comedians on my podcast instead of activists. That's a which would mean that a lot of my uh, listenership would. Uh, probably be disappointed because they expect a very diverse group of people talking about very serious traumatic things where I would get people on who were maybe not you know part of a marginalized group but and who might not even have trauma to talk about who just want to have a chat but again that would put my name next to a bunch of comedians and they'd be like oh yeah her friends her comedian right that's a cold very cold calculated way of looking at it but, but that's one of the things i can do that might also have the effect that you stand out less because there's a lot of comedians talking to comedians mm, that's true so maybe that wouldn't work <laughs> are you, you like I mean? please don't no 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 no, <laughs> no not at all then, I, so I already regard you the, as a competitor i'm, I'm going to talk about the comedic process <laughs> oh, you, and, you and every other fucker who's tired of podcasts in the last year um, no, no, I, I already re- uh, regard you as uh, a competitor um, in, in, the, in the warmest and most uh, lovely way. Um, but uh, so I, I interrupted so, your no, no, so you could so do that, certain so things. They will also sure. have the risk that people would then start uh, paying to my Patreon, which would mean that I would uh, just have fewer money to live for. So I'd have to do more. Stuff that I don't want to do. The ideal thing for me to do is to be like, <laughs> no, it's, I just want to do comedy. I just want to be fine. I'm going to do funny things. Haha, <laughs> I don't know. But this is genuinely what I'm, I have to be strategic about things now. Um, and I could then stop making serious statement, statements on social media, which is really fucking annoying because I will now see things that I want to retweet, important things, you know, uh, things that I'm like, fuck, people who follow me need to hear these things. But that would, that's part of the reason why my career is going in a bad direction is because I keep doing these things. So fine, I'm going to have to be really ice cold about this and only retweet comedians and funny things. Uh, 
And then hopefully at some point I'll be able to do some of that or maybe just do it in smaller amounts. Um, I'm going to have to, in order to teach or make my audience aware of the existence of boundaries, I'm going to have to start being interactive with them on social media. Did you say stop? To stop being stop. interactive? Yeah. Yeah. So I spoke to a, another activist. So it's, uh, I stopped calling myself an activist, only to call myself a comedian. So I didn't speak to another activist. I spoke to an activist who said um, that when they had had fans who were a bit intense, they had just stopped speaking about personal stuff on social media. So only talk about your work, present yourself as an artist. So it's not about, you know, I'm not your friend. I'm someone whose work you admire, uh, which is difficult for me because I love to share. I share all the time, but true. And this is all not about me. The annoying thing is I can be a comedian and an activist. I can be really fucking funny and I can make amazing shows and also have opinions and also share other people's opinions. You know, I can be a comedian and also have activists on my podcast. You know, I can write, you know, my book was both funny and important, but no one talks about it being funny. I can be both things, but people don't want to see me like that. So they want to put me in a box. And in order to have a career, I have to pretend that I'm only one thing because people just seem to not be able to differentiate between that. And that is in the same way as I can share things about my personal life on social media without that meaning that I'm interested in you stopping me in the street to tell me about all the times you were raped because that's not really good for me to hear that, you know? But people can't see that difference because I'm in their heads all the time for all the podcasting I do. And you're the champion. You and know, you're, you, you occupy a space where they're like, yeah. God, imagine if I ever got the chance to talk to Sophie Hagen mm. because she would get me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, oh, I would. I'm very clever, but... <laughs> but that doesn't mean... It's a good job podcasting doesn't work the other way around, isn't it? I'm just thinking of the <laughs> amount of distribution you get when you drop an episode and tens of thousands of people listen to it. It's a good job that when you hit the episode, you, it's like being um, Professor X from the... Do you know what I mean? You suddenly hear everyone's <laughs> thoughts in all shit sense I back. feel like I do, though. I feel yeah. like this fringe has been... And right now, it's not, it's not even... It's just because you're here and everyone's here. It's also like after my shows, but that's in a contained manner. You know, this is just you walk down the street and people are there. And it's... But it's also about how I'm being read. You know, I'm a fat... I'm a fat femme person so people see me as some kind of mother hen so you know i get more of people's trauma than anyone i know you know you know because you you also podcast people also feel like they know you you know but i don't know how many women stop you in the street to go oh my god i was abused as a child or you should come to my wedding because it would mean so much to me to to just sit there with you and you could share this day with me you know what i mean and I, I, I get I get a lot of uh, uh, really, and I spoke to another podcaster who I won't name. I get a lot, and I am no, not a lot. I get some, and I'm always happy to field them. But I do get people sharing their mental health uh, challenges. I share yeah. my mental health stuff a lot. Yeah, and for me, I'm not successful enough that it's a problem yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but also you feel like a shithead for saying it's a problem. You know, you feel like a an asshole for having to say to someone who's crying. I'm so sorry, I can't, I can't do this because you're the third person today who's wanted to tell me all of your traumatic experiences and I was having a great day. I'm doing a show that for me is super fun to do. I've, I can't, I also am not a therapist, I can't help you. I can't, yeah. you know, so you kind of walk down the street, you 
you put on all these, um, it's just a lot of emotional labor. And in order for me to not be affected by people's, uh, there's no nice word for this, but like, in order for me to have a life where I don't have the word rape shouted into my face or abuse shouted into my face 10 times a day, I have to be really cold about this. I have to stop, you know, I have to just, I have to stop sharing on social media because, you know, they get the wrong impression or, and it's, it's hard. Like my, and every single interview I do, I, my main message about fat activism is fuck the patriarchy, destroy capitalism, punch Nazis. It's the system. That's a problem. You don't have to love your body. Why would you love your body? It's impossible to do in this world. So instead, the Nazis are the problem. Thinking that you have to be healthy to be respected is a fascist way of thinking of things. That's what Hitler said. He had the same opinion. So you're a fascist if you think this way. I can say all of these things. Like the, the last sentence of the book is punch Nazis. And people in interviews will say, so your main message is like compassion. Yeah. <laughs> and you just want everyone to love their bodies because you think everyone's beautiful. I'm like, what, are you, what do I have to say to make you understand that i'm not your best friend i like I've, I've, i'm not this and i think that's a fat thing you know i look cute i have cute cheeks but you smile and you're articulate and funny i'm funny i seem nice you know maybe so you could be thinner and angrier <laughs> and then they'd leave you alone literally the only time in the past seven years i've considered losing weight was when i realized it's a fat thing i was like fuck you i'll lose it just so you'll take me seriously <laughs> um some of those things seem sensible. Some of those things, I feel like you say them with a kind of regret, like oh, I should stop. You know, I don't want to agree with you that you should not express your opinions on social media. I know. But equally, you know, either do less activism or do more comedy. And it sounds yeah. like you're pretty busy anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how it's going to be easy to do more comedy. Maybe there is some version of it where you don't need to be cold. You can be firm. And I'm sure you, you know what I mean? You're, you're yeah. aware of these things. I'm not telling you. To tell no, you I know. What you mean. Mean. I think it's, I think I realize it's a privilege to be able to be opinionated, you know, like Bill Burr's opinionated, right? Yeah. He's doing pretty well. You know, do you get to be opinionated and be, a part of a marginalized group or will that just cancel you out as of but what i my main what i did do wrong from a comedy perspective not a humanity perspective was my second third my third tour uh all the uh, toilets were gender neutral um uh i had trigger warnings on the show because it was about emotional abuse and uh I have made it anxiety safe, meaning that people could message me if they had an anxiety, the ones to sit near the exit of the ones to be let in before the audience. And that was a very, very strong, it was a very clever marketing move, you know, made a lot of people come. I knew that mm? and I didn't want to say, hey, this is calculating, <laughs> this is a clever marketing well, it's, move. It's, it's also, things. it's also, That's it's both thing. things. Yeah, right? I didn't, none of both things happen happen at the same time. Like, obviously, I wanted this, the whole tour to be this, but also, yeah, it's also going to work marketing wise, right? Um, that's just, I'd, I'd be, and a fool to be like, oh, really? And then it happened to also sell it. Fuck off, right? Sure, losers win. You're a loser. Your audience are losers. losers Maybe yeah. identify as losers. I'm not saying. You said I, I, didn't. I got Sophie to admit her audience were losers. I know you don't think that. But, the Italian, yeah. but there is an element where oh, we're all like, yeah, yeah, outsiders. That's my whole thing. Right? Totally. So, but that meant. That now, 
uh, my audience are expecting all of my shows to always have trigger warnings. The only reason why that baby frog had a trigger warning was with the opening sentence was it's about emotional abuse. So it wouldn't ruin the show. Right. None of my other shows have had it. That baby frog, I couldn't go, um, bubble wrap. I couldn't go out and say it's actually about depression. Cause then when the I twist. start to yeah. reveal that, then people are going to be, Oh yeah. When's the depression thing coming? Mm. So now they assume that all the shows, uh, Oh yeah. It was also wheelchair accessible. Uh, meaning that when I did a shitty gig in a basement in Glasgow, I got three complaints about it not being wheelchair accessible. I was like, it's just a work in progress. So 30 people, I'm, not every venue I ever do can be wheelchair accessible because then I couldn't do any gigs. And, you know, I, I'm doing my best. If I if I could ever choose between a wheelchair accessible venue and one that wasn't, I'd choose the wheelchair accessible venue. But that's not how touring works. You know, it's very, very complicated to get all of the cities to function and get the right date, get the right time, get the right deal. Like, And also, I don't do that. I have producers to do that for me. But that means a lot of people get very disappointed a lot. I've had people come up to me. This, the moment it really fucked me was a, a woman who came up to me after a show when I did one of the first work in progress for the bum swing. Well, you know, you're just doing a work in progress. You're just like saying words. Your brain's going, oh. Uh, and she came up to me afterwards, burst through into the dressing room and just went like almost with tears in her eyes. And she went, I, um, I just know you want to hear this because I know you care. I felt excluded tonight because you said you British people. And I'm from France. I was like, oh, I need to make some changes. <laughs> this is not good. This is not good. Like, you're not a minority because you're from France. Fuck off. And that is sort of a lot of the people I've, I have now as my fans are people who are very right on, which is great. But they also think that all of my shows will be safe spaces in any kind of way. And it's very brutal for me to have set that up without at any point making them aware that this is not going to be the future. Not all of my tours will have all of this. Not all of my shows will have trigger warnings. Not all of my shows will have room for anxiety safe, whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say you British people, unless of course someone in this room are not from the UK that I also have full understanding for, but you know, I'm not going to do that because that, that ruins the show. So now I have a lot of people who would probably enjoy my comedy who think, oh, but she's like really angry feminist. Her show's probably not for me. She's just going to be like ranting about feminism for an hour. They're not going to come and see the show. Then I have a lot of people who think I'm going to come and rant about feminism and they're going to feel really safe who are going to come to my shows and be really triggered and sad and feel excluded because they thought it was something different. So I'm standing kind of in the middle of this space where I think I now have to, well, this, this show doesn't have a trigger warning, you know, my next, my tour, the venues that do have accessibility and stuff, they're great. We're going to try and ask them. We've asked them all if we can please have gender neutral toilets, but some of them have said no because there are other shows in the building or they just won't do it. But that's the only venue I could do in that town. So we've do, we're doing that. So people might show up to that and be really sad. There's going to be a lot of horrible things happening where a lot of my people, it's already happening. People being upset about certain things to do with the show. So I'm going to have a moment where I'm going to be pushing out quite a lot of my own people that I've accumulated over the, the last couple of years. And I'm just kind of hoping that the people who are somewhere in between still want to come and see me despite like what they might think of me. You know, it's fucking complicated. I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to hurt a lot of people because of my own 
stupidity. You've got to perform a reverse Kitson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. I'm, I'm, you know what I mean by that. I'm going to reward people who know comedy well because yeah. you all know what I mean. I'm not going to go into detail on that, but that is effectively what you have yeah, to do. Yeah, back to the comedy clubs. <laughs> yeah, you've got to, you've got to, back to the clubs and back to the, you know, you have to thin out your audience to an extent, or you I'll need teach, to. I'll teach them. Well, ideally, I want to teach them. Ideally, I want to. Ideally, I want to say. Yeah, you don't want to lose them as coming. people, sure. But I also know that's a risk. And that I might lose quite a lot because of this risk. But what I would ideally do is tell them, I'm a comedian. That means that the comedy comes first. So if a trigger warning ruins the show, I'm not going to do a trigger warning because the show comes before the trigger warning. Also, there's no such thing as safe spaces. We need to stop thinking there are safe spaces. But that's a routine. Thing. The problems are the material. Losers can win <laughs> in a different way. If that's a problem, that's your material. Mm. So you write a dynamite five-minute routine about the fact that there's no safe spaces and there are no trigger oh, warnings God. in the show. And you do that, at the be- that becomes your walking around jokes. I see what you, you get that, you do that on boring. Conan, you do your, do you know what I mean? And you, you change, you, look, you've benefited a lot from, yeah. from the, from using, I yeah. don't mean using, from, uh, you have caught the wave of the yeah. safe space thing. And you know, there's yeah. a lot of people who- I've tried to do the right thing. You try to do the right thing and, and you also and benefited from it. Yeah. You, yeah, you, and you also benefited from it. Mm. You, your name blew up, you're huge, you, you get that- if you want to prove that you're not just the left wing Katie Hopkins, do you know what I mean? You need you like you got traction, you got visibility, yeah. your name's big, and you can now, thank God, you have comedy. You can I don't mean rehabilitate, <laughs> but you you can say in a way that just an author wouldn't be able to do this just a mere author <laughs> you know you can say yeah. right here we go this is my safe spaces routine this is me drawing a line and and retreating back into what I know the you know the root I'm going to be the most right wing left no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah totally the most right there's the your title next year the most right wing left wing comedian you fucking snowflakes we all know that actually the most marginalised groups are the ones where we're <laughs> You are oh, I mean it's a challenge. It is, isn't it? <laughs> Do you want credit once I've done it on Conan? Do you want me to say thank you so much? I've been so good hanging. I like to credit Stuart Gosford for this amazing idea. If it works, yeah. This <laughs> <laughs> is all Stuart Gosford's fault. But I think you know what I mean. Like you, you see what I'm saying. You yeah, have yeah. the ability to do all those things. I know what and, you mean. I know what you mean. But it's just such a that whole thing of thinking about privilege and social justice and yes. Oh, it's so tiring. You engage with it and, and it must be exhausting. But, so I just want to be able to do what I want to do without it having consequences. <laughs> <laughs> why can't I do that? So many people do that. I mean, it's just, yeah. Why can't I just start talking about like dick jokes and then people can just sort out their own stuff? It's well, so you, tiring to talk about safe spaces and all. It's just not a drain. Then just start doing dick jokes and, yeah. and do a smaller room for a few years yeah. and build the audience. Oh, back definitely. Up. I'm not doing that big of a room again. Absolutely not. I'm, I'm going, no, absolutely you, it not. It is all in front of you. You are yeah. a brilliant joke writer. It's like, okay, so this is this is the narrative. Here we go. Mm. You started off with the uh, brilliant but misogynist uh, community. You learned how to write jokes. Yeah. You then came and learned how to take, you came to the UK, you learned how to take risks in a different way, how to find what was funny about you. And then you overcorrected into the safe space thing. Great. Well, you've done both. Now you come yeah. back to who you actually are. Yeah. You're not beholden to anyone. If you, any comedian that's like... God, I wish I could just do this. The answer is, do it then. Yeah. Do it. Accept that you will lose some part of your audience. You yeah. will lose some part of your visibility and some part of your yeah. of your uh, uh, industry. Some, yeah. some part of the finances. There may be a change thing. But, uh, a change thing. A change, we call yeah. this. Um, 
And then a few years from now, you, you have, you know. I think that, that, that's, Mate, that's, that's, that's the plan. That's I mean, plan. I'm, not, I'm not giving you a plan. I'm just no, telling back to you what you just exactly. said. Exactly. <laughs> that, that is what I have to do now. And I know I have to, I'm going to lose a lot uh, in trying to get back there. And I just, I know that's going to happen. And I know a lot of people are going to be very upset because it's so close to people, you know, that, you know, but Swap it's... Swap death threats, doxing and rape trauma oversharing for <sighs> the self, you know. Yeah, for just, yeah, acknowledging myself as a whole person. Job done. <laughs> So that was Sophie. And as I said, there's another 45 minutes available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. I really recommend it. It's absolutely worth your time. We're going to go a little bit more into detail on the cost to her comedy career of her social activism. And that is a fascinating and frank subject. And I think um, the way things ended up just then at the end of that conversation and the sort of the, the going forward game plan of what Sophie might do next, I think is a really fascinating thing indeed. I can't wait to see what she does with that. The decisions she makes, as I said, I think she's a very, very smart lady as well as a very funny comic. And um, she's definitely someone uh, who I am going to enjoy watching and watching her develop her career in whatever way she chooses to take it. I think we'll all be able to learn something from her. So go and see her on tour, sophiehagen.com slash tour. Come along and see me, comedianscomedian.com slash tour. And uh, those are some of the touring options available to you if you're in the UK, at least. Now, um, thank you to everybody. Thanks to Sophie for coming along. Thank you very much to uh, Nathan Wood for editing and producing this show. Thanks to Rob Smouten for the music. Jake Crossland, log the episode. And your podcast consultant, as always, is Mr. Peter Dobbing. That is it for now. I will post Amble at you shortly, um, but that concludes the episode. So if you came here for the interview, that is now over. Uh, if you'd like to hang around, I'll tell you briefly what's been happening over the last week of my life and respond to the lovely warm comments I've been getting about me freaking out at the end of last week's episode. Okay, so that's all of that. Bye for now. Speak to you soon. So this is a replacement postamble because the other one that I recorded for this episode was kind of wittering and didn't really uh, suit or didn't really honour the uh, fascinating conversation that went before it. And this is something a little bit more... This is, you, you know, 20 revelations a day, me. But um, I realise what's been making me unhappy. Um, the postamble initially was me saying thank you for everyone that said nice things to me because in the postamble from last week I was clearly a bit down and had been a bit depressed and was kind of you know coping with it fine and trying to be honest about it in that kind of horrific way that people do on social media these days and when I see people see people doing it on um on Facebook I can't help but very slightly roll my eyes and then I go off and record a a sort of uh, private public message to uh tens of thousands of you um nonetheless here's the thing I I've just realized that um I know know what made me unhappy. I've just clocked it. I've just clocked what made me unhappy. I was no longer free from desire. I have been so happy recently because I have freed myself from desire. In, um, In comedy terms, in career terms, I'm just sort of, I've been just living. I've just been doing the work. And then, of course, as often happens, when you have something like that and it's going off, people ask you how you are and if your uh, structures for socialization, if, you're, if you're, the way you speak to people 
is configured anything like it is for me, you end up saying to people often, how are you, Stu? And you say, well, actually, I'm doing great. I'm just doing the work. You know, I spent the whole of Edinburgh. I'm just doing the work, guys. I'm doing the work for its own sake. I might not even ever finish a show again. I love the thing so much. I sort of delivered that message several times to um, to anyone that was listening. And in that process, it became a simulacrum, right? Baudrillard. That's all I know. A simulacrum is a thing which used to be a thing, but has become an empty copy of itself. I guess it was made up by a guy called Baudrillard, but I've never read about it in depth. Um, I like the idea, though. It's just sort of a shell. It's a kind of, it's just the, it's like the, the snake of the skin, or it's just like varnish. And the thing itself has died and vanished, and just the sort of varnished remains are there. So I went round telling everyone I was free from desire, and whilst I was doing that, desire crept back in. It wormed its way back in whilst I was busy telling everyone how free from desire I was, and suddenly I got back into wanting that which appeared to be rightfully mine. And post-Edinburgh, when everyone is in that mode of celebrating the things they got, the things they won, the opportunities they managed to uh, do and accept, I started to feel jealous because I was no longer free from desire. And all the while I was telling myself that I was free from desire. So I didn't notice. So that's why I've been unhappy for two or three weeks. Oh God, what a pointless wanker. Sorry, everyone. But um, but what a lovely thing to remember that. And I tell you what, just nudged me into thinking that. Uh, I am sitting in the car being driven and I am, I was, we were listening to Koji Radical. Uh, who is uh, someone? Or we were listening. We weren't even listening to Koji Radical, although I, the music's quite good. I heard it the other day. I, the name I went. Oh, I heard that the other day. And on BBC Six Music, which I listen to because I'm a middle class dad in his early forties. Uh, I, I, they were talking about. It. Lauren Laverne was just describing how Koji Radical is an artist and a multidisciplinary artist. And I was noodling to myself, thinking, Oh, that'd be nice to be a multidisciplinary artist. And then obviously thinking. I am. I'm legitimately an artist. And then I suddenly had that perspective shift where you go, oh, actually, part of the desire that's worked its way in is, you know, the desire for fame and success and the trappings of success. And even though I try to argue with myself and go, you don't need those things. You're just a person in the world making a living at a thing you love. Isn't that enough? Obviously, on some some level, you, uh, you think that's enough. But you also, on some level, don't think that's enough and have to continually convince yourself. I started to lose that battle because desire had crept back in. And then I was thinking, oh, actually, yes, I'm an artist who supports a family and pays a mortgage uh, doing the thing I love without compromise. And that's the thing. Everything I do, the podcasts, the writing, the shows, even the travel sometimes, I love it. It isn't a compromise. I'm not having to... Do, I don't do commercial castings anymore. So incidentally, anyone that gets in touch going, oh, I heard you on the so-and-so advert, you didn't. There's someone else out there with my voice and he is cleaning up. Good luck to him, I say. I don't have to do those things. I'm, <laughs> which isn't to say if there's anyone uh, booking any voice work for something that's a product I love and believe in, I wouldn't consider it. But my point is, compromise. I am a functioning artist who supports a family without compromise. And that is enough. And I had that thought and I suddenly went, you know, because I'm free from... <gasps> Oh, I've been naughtily being not free from desire. But now I am again, and the cloud has lifted. As easy as that. God, an artistic life's easy, isn't it? When you've spent 25 years plus on it, and and then finally it all falls into place, and then you forget it's all fallen into place, and you get upset, and then you remember, and you go, actually, it's fine. I am enough. 
um, Dave, I did this podcast. I don't think I've mentioned it on the pod. I only mentioned it on social media, which is remiss of me. I guested on a podcast from the Dave TV channel um, with Lauren Pattinson and lovely, uh, what's his name? Aaron. Uh, he's technically Ron on Twitter. I forget his real name. His real name doesn't matter. He's technically Ron on Twitter. Um, and um, uh, I appeared on their excellent podcast, Conversations Against Living Miserably. I think I was a I think I was the pilot episode that ended up being released as, you know, an episode after the wait. Maybe they did a number of pilots. It's a really interesting chat about mental health and uh, let's erase the word chat. It's a really interesting conversation about mental health and some of my ways of coping with things and some of their ways of coping with things. And um, uh, they released it. And also, I've got, it's a great conversation. I urge you to download that. Cam- uh, Conversations Against Living Miserably, which is a sort of riff on the campaign Against Living Miserably or CALM, which is a, an excellent charity organisation. Um, but I got memefied. Dave did one of those little things. Someone put it in the ComCom Facebook group um, where I said, you're not a problem. You might have some problems, but you're not a problem. And they thought that was worth turning into. <laughs> they, they thought that was so smart and incisive that it was worth writing down in a font, <laughs> in, in a square, in, in a font inside a square. But... Um, you know, that's as much as uh, as any contemporary marker of when a, a thought is worthwhile. So, um, anyway, that reminded me of that. I have been, I have not, I've been talking the talk and forgetting to walk the walk. So apologies to everyone for being sad. <laughs> I don't mean that. And don't worry, I'm not manic. I'm just laughing at myself. Um, uh, I just made me laugh the idea that I basically, what this, what this is uh, in danger of amounting to is... Um, an apology for being depressed on my own podcast. I don't feel the need to apologise for that, so don't mind. Um, but anyway, there we go. That here ended the re-recorded second draft of a post-amble. All right? Be good yourselves. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 